Okay, okay, alright, so I'm really excited to have y'all tune in again for the first official episode of Shoot Your Shot. So there's a lot to get into today, so I just want to give you guys a rough outline of what we'll be covering today, because let's be honest, All-Star Break and the week after has bestowed a lot of information for us to get into and dissect. And what better way to do it than with your favorite basketball host, Fuad Kadora of Shoot Your Shot. So thanks again for tuning in, everyone. So just to give you guys a rough outline of what we're going to be covering later today. So we're going to touch on how the whole super team dynamic of the NBA has been shifting, especially after the most recent blockbuster trade that went down. We're going to be covering the Lakers and how... There is a lot of issues going on and how LeBron kind of called out the front office during All-Star break. We're going to be touching a little bit about Zion and how he's kind of been avoiding the Pelicans. A lot of reports are coming out to say that he's been wanting out. So he's kind of doing what other superstars have been doing to get out of New Orleans. And the best thing to kind of think about to make you think that he's actually wanting out is the fact that CJ got traded from the Pelican er, to the Pelicans from Portland and McCollum is a really good player he's an all-star caliber player the only reason he wasn't in the all-star game at all is because the west was flooded when he was trying to win a chip with his buddy Dame in the backcourt so Dame or Damian Lillard for those of you who are not aware was the person to always take the all-star spot from the Blazers, judging because they didn't really have that high of a seed. So it was only one person. So CJ's a very all-star caliber player. He deserves a lot of respect, especially because he's getting to that age where he's becoming a bit of a vet himself. So it's kind of weird that Zion hasn't even reached out to him or anything like that. And... CJ's been getting pestered by the media to the point where he's like, leave the poor kid alone, just don't ask me any more questions. It kind of reminds me of how Danny Green was always being asked about Kawhi the summer that the Raptors won in 2019. That free agency was rough because everyone had decided where they wanted to go except for Kawhi. And Danny Green was kind of following Kawhi's footsteps. So if Kawhi re-signed with us, sad face, Danny Green would have came back. But as we all know, Kawhi ended up going with the Clippers. And then Danny Green went to the Lakers, missed that shot, which caused him to get traded out to Philly, where he is with Harden right now. Love how that comes full circle. So after touching a little bit on the whole Zion situation, we're going to get into DeMar DeRozan's historic run, dissect it in a little bit more detail, and how he's kind of like surpassing MJ with some of the records he's putting on. So he's been having an amazing season. We'll get into the specifics and details about DeMar's run. And then we're going to touch a little bit about how Harden debuted and how he played his first two games with Philly, how his injury 
his hamstring injury is basically nowhere to be found after the trade. And then we'll finish off with a little bit of Luka Magic and uh, that amazing slash insane comeback against the Warriors. So that's the basic schedule of what I'd like to cover today. Before we get into that, moving forward, oh my god. So I have to address how many times I've used the word moving forward or like going forward the last podcast. I re-listened to it and the amount of times I used that phrase was appalling. I cannot believe I used it that many times. So I definitely need to work a lot on how I deliver my words or choose them at least because like I'm happy that it kind of like fixed itself towards the end. So I kind of started using a lot more vocabulary and I actually came out and said that I'm actually happy that I'm doing this because that podcast, the intro episode 0.5 slash 1 or whatever it was, to be honest with y'all, it was going to be the like the worst podcast I would have released so far because it's the first one. So I'm really happy that I'm kind of getting to acknowledge my mistakes or mishaps, shall I say, to my audience. And uh, I want your guys' feedback as I grow. And feel free to like leave my leave comments and reviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, the whole nine yards. So I even I understand what you guys would like me to talk about going forward. No pun intended. That's the last time I'm going to use that. I've also noticed that I've been using kind of a lot, but at least that's better than moving forward, in my opinion, because to be honest, the amount of times I've heard myself say it, it was just not good at all. So moving on. (laughs) Yeah, so I kind of wanted to touch a lot about how this podcast is kind of more of a basketball oriented podcast covering the entire NBA with an emphasis on a little bit of teams. But it also has that little bit of kick or kind of my twist on what I want it to be at the end. I've gotten a little bit of people telling me that I should kind of split the two podcasts, make one that's exclusively for basketball and one exclusively for self-improvement and self-help. But to be honest, I feel like talking about the NBA was what helped me get through my time being like really down low and depressed and like kind of having that feeling to not talk to anyone like I touched on my last episode if not then please go back and check it out so you have a better idea of what I'm talking about right now but I kind of wanted to come to the whole conclusion that talking about your mistakes or realizing your mistakes help you move forward and no pun intended and just realize that you're kind of fixing what you wanted to get fixed in the first place. So what I'm what I'm trying to say is that the only way you get better at something is by starting to do it and making mistakes and figuring out how to get better from those mistakes. As the saying goes, it's not how many times you fall, it's how many times you get back up after that. So that's how I kind of want to keep this podcast in the future because I'm leaning more about covering the NBA as a league, but then I kind of want to leave that my own little twist at the end so it has that kind of personal touch to it that 
other podcasts lack. And it's all based from personal experience that I've had to go through in the past. So just take it in a really authentic way and realize that what I'm trying to say is how I got through my times, my rough times in the past. And this is just me kind of paying it forward to whoever is willing to listen and take the advice. And it would make me really happy for somebody to actually use it and for it to benefit them because that's the entire goal of that last little section. It's kind of like the little prize you get because you listen to me talk about basketball for 45 minutes. So I want to have that little end where people actually benefit from it after listening to the league or its sport that they like the most which is in my case and this podcast's case the nba and for those of you who are a little bit more confused or kind of perplexed at what i'm trying to aim for for the last five to ten minutes of every podcast it sort of has to do with the whole mentality of unleashing your full potential and to define your own pathway to find your own version of success rather than society's notion of what it is to be successful, especially in today's age, because everything's literally out there for everyone to see it every single time, and it's super edited, and it's not authentic, and that kind of places that image in everyone's head that it's that particular way or method to be successful, rather than finding what's best in them and inside of them to become who they actually want to be and actually enjoy the work that they're putting forth for themselves and kind of owning that work and being accountable for your own work while enjoying it at the same time rather than kind of forcing yourself to get into this field or industry, calling it your career and not really being satisfied or fulfilled at the end of the day by what you're doing or the change you're affecting. So it's kind of touching on that whole notion of unleashing the potential within you and within everyone rather than kind of settling for that little thing you have going on right now or whatever the case may be. I just wanted to get into that motivational aspect of actually fostering the drive within you guys to affect the change that you want to be, whatever it might be whether it's a promotion moving forward (laughs) or anything along the lines of self-improvement or you wanting to gain a new skill or pursue a different career path or whatever the case might be. I just want you guys to realize that in today's age, especially after COVID and the whole online transition with people's careers and work, it's a lot easier to find something you like doing which will bring you eventual success and happiness down the road rather than settling for something you think is good for you but then only to find out later that you were kind of forcing yourself to do it the whole time just to get somewhere where now that you're at you're not even satisfied with so that's kind of like the whole notion of me wanting to cover this at the end of the little segments that i'm going to get into it's more just to help you guys unleash your full potential and gravitate towards the activities or side hustles in today's age that make you happy and make you look forward to wanting to do rather than settling for what you think you have to do to put food on the table at the end of the day. So that's just a little kind of me clearing up what I wanted to get done in terms of the whole purpose of the kind of double category in terms of 
the NBA and then how to get better at like defining success and self-help and just figuring out who you are and what you want to be in terms of other income streams that you can pull in to kind of make yourself not dependent on your main one, which is your main work or career. So you can have that multiple sources of income and income streams coming in just so you're actually satisfied and happy and looking forward to the work or multiple jobs that you're doing rather than kind of settling for that old-fashioned nine-to-five going in for like one source of income that you never know. Sure, it might be stable for now, but you never know what happens. So relying on one source isn't really the best thing you could do. But yeah, as I said, I'm going to get into that more and more as I release more episodes. While touching on my personal experience down the road, giving it that personal, authentic outlook and perspective rather than me just spewing something I read online or whatnot. So, moving on. Now for the actual NBA content some of you, or I hope most of you, have been waiting for at least. Um, Yes, so I wanted to start out by touching on the entire super team era in the NBA, which kind of started off when LeBron, LeBron's infamous decision of uh, taking his talents to South Beach, per se. First recent super team in the modern era of the NBA, per se, is kind of the Boston Celtics when they won in 08. They had Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, and Paul Pierce. So it was kind of the first big three we got exposed to in the modern era. And just like everyone knows, they ended up winning the ring. But then Kobe came along, and Kobe doesn't really need a super team because he's Kobe. God rest his soul. So LeBron kind of followed that entire trend where he took his talents to South Beach and teamed up with Dwayne Wade and the Raptors' very own Chris Bush. And then, as we all know, they ended up going to the playoffs four straight times, winning two out of those four playoff berths, securing two rings and LeBron's first two championships. And then LeBron being the good Samaritan he truly is and the loyal cavalier he once was, decided to go back home and ended up uh, beating the super team of super teams without Kevin Durant and uh, securing the 2016 championship. However, that kind of started the whole super team era, as I said, which kind of gave birth to the biggest super team of super teams, including Steph Curry, the best shooter of all time, Klay Thompson, the second best shooter of all time, constituting the best backcourt of all time, combined with Kevin freaking Durant, the most ruthless scorer of all time, and then, oh, who's the fourth starter star on their lineup? One of the best defenders of all time. So you can literally plug in any fifth person you would ever want and they would still be one of the best super teams to ever touch the face of the earth. So the entire super team dynamic was stronger than ever, which led to even Carmelo wanting to join Russ and Paul George in Oklahoma City. But we all know how that ended up with him being let go literally a few games into the season because he didn't want to succumb to their, oh, you're just a catch and shoot person now rather than him doing him and his doing his thing on the court. So he didn't take that lightly. And then we all know how that ended up with him taking a few years off and then Damian Lillard taking a chance on him because Damian Lillard is one of the most authentic 
and empathetic basketball player as there ever is. He's just an OG. He's real as it gets. And he's the most loyal basketball player. Because I know some people are going to come up to me and say Steph. And other people are still staying put with, with their own teams. But let's be real. Damian Lillard is literally staying put in Portland. Like, I know it's not a bad city, but it's Portland. Like, the best player they had was probably Clyde Drexler going back. I'm probably missing another player they had that was really big. But at the same time, like, Damian Lillard is, in my opinion at least, wasting his prime on an organization that does not deserve him. Particularly after all the time he put into that organization. He literally was single-handedly responsible for two buzzer-beating shots, which ended both series in the playoffs. One against the Rockets with James Harden, and the other against Russ with PG in OKC. So he just gave the organization so much of his blood, sweat, and tears just to end up being nothing at the end of the day to them at least. That's what they're showing him because sure they're clearing up cap space now, but at the end of the day, I really don't think that he's going to win in Portland. He had a spot waiting for him in Philly, but then as we're going to get into this later in the podcast, Harden reunited with his favorite GM of all time, Daryl Morey in Philadelphia, give taking that spot from Damian Lillard, unfortunately. So to preface the super team discussion... The super team of super teams got disbanded because Kevin Durant thought that his legacy was being tarnished because his two rings and only two rings were like acquired by him joining his rivals, which he lost to. So like from a business perspective, I get it, right? If you can't be them, join them. And that's precisely what he did. But the amount of hate this man has received from making a business decision to win is unprecedented. The amount of Twitter slander he's been getting is insane. So he's kind of the person that takes that to heart rather than just brushing it off to the side because... Because let's be honest, literally every influential person ever gets hate. That's just the way it goes. People are jealous. People want to be you. People are going to envy you and judge you and so on and so forth. But he's kind of the sensitive type to kind of take that to heart rather than just accepting it and knowing that the people who are giving him that slander don't mean jack to him. Because he's Kevin Durant. He's literally the most ruthless scorer of all time. He's super cold-blooded. That mid-range jumper is pure money. And his paycheck says it, but his Twitter comments got to his head. So he made a decision to move to Brooklyn. And then Harden didn't want to stay in Houston. So with KD and Kyrie being in Brooklyn, Harden was like, okay, I'm going to form the second best super team of all time because they weren't really like defensive minded with Draymond and Golden State so I'll say it's the second best but when you want to look at it in terms of pure iso ball and one-on-one players who can just hey go get open get me a bucket that was the best super team of all time in Brooklyn and unfortunately 
recently, we saw the very disbandment of that super team, as I touched on in my episode 0.75, I guess I'm going to call it now. So, yeah, unfortunately, we did not get to see the full potential of the Brooklyn Nets Big 3 carry out because over their entire time together, KD... James Harden and Kyrie Irving only got to play in 16 games together, but they ended up dominating with a 13-3 and record, which is an 81.3 win percent. So that just puts it in your brain, and you can't help but wonder what if they stayed together and never went apart, which will be the end of me if I kept talking about it, because honestly... Kevin Durant's missed three-pointer against the Bucks. It just all went downhill from there. That shot should have went in. The man played his heart out for 48 straight minutes, and then his shoe size being too damn big cost him the most competitive playoff series of all time, or at least in the past few years. That playoff series was definitely the finals of last year because when the Suns showed up, let's be real, that wasn't really the game, much of a game, was it? They were very undersized, and they were just in shock. CP3's never been to the finals before. He was just happy to be there celebrating like he won the whole thing before he got there, whereas the Bucks had the their head in the game, and Giannis dropped 50 in Game 6. So, Yeah, so... That kind of constitutes the entire framework and direction the NBA is heading towards in the 20s, the roaring 20s of the 21st century, (laughs) or should I say the COVID uh, ruled 20s of uh, the 21st century. Anyways, so the direction the NBA has been heading in recently has been kind of a more balanced outlook of teams with the Eastern Conference taking on a lot of the power that the West Conference once had. And of course, this could be easily deduced looking at the standings because in the Eastern Conference, the first team all the way to the eighth team is a mere nine games back. Whereas when you look at the Western Conference, the, f- the difference between the first team and the eighth team is 18 games. The eighth team is 18 games behind the first team which is the Suns whereas in the Eastern Conference the Nets in eighth are nine games behind the Heat which are in first which is literally due to their like personal 10 game losing streak but that's besides the point the Eastern Conference is so much more closely tight-knit compared to the Western Conference which is usually the opposite so that kind of tells you more about the entire power dynamic shift in the NBA recently along with the demise of the super team era kind of creating that more balanced outlook making each team only have one to two stars rather than three plus and just creating that entire competitive notion of the NBA that we all grew up loving in the first place. So in my personal opinion, that's definitely a pro that the NBA is headed in. So creating a lot more competitive basketball games for all of us to watch and enjoy moving forward. So yeah, now I want to touch a little bit on the Lakers and talk about how they're really struggling in terms of their team, the front office, the whole nine yards. So I feel like we should start by 
talking about how LeBron James went crazy during All-Star Weekend in his interviews and basically told the entire world that he is upset with the front office because they didn't make the changes that he told them he wanted. And I kind of touched a little bit on this in my episode 0.75. We're going to go with that in terms of calling it what it is. But it's kind of a difficult situation that LeBron put Palenka in, the GM. Because, let's be honest, you can't really be mad at someone for telling him to do something, consequently putting him in an impossible situation to work himself out of, then being mad at him for not working himself out of that very situation that you were responsible for putting him in in the first place. So let's dissect that for the people who didn't really catch it. Basically, LeBron wanted Russ. Russ was acquired by the GM Palinka onto the Lakers from the Wizards. They gave up their entire team, basically. They gave up so many good role players and refused to pay some on the way back that wanted to come back, a.k.a. Caruso. They gave up people like Kuzma, Caldwell Pope, and all they got in return was Russell Westbrook, and everyone knew that he wasn't going to be a good fit because Palinka wanted shooters around LeBron and AD, taking them back to how they won the championship in 20. However, yours truly, Le GM, <laughs> wanted Russ. So Palinka was like, okay, I'm not going to go against LeBron because he's LeBron. And he got him Russell Westbrook. And then LeBron was upset at Palinka for not pulling any moves before the trade deadline about a week ago. Which doesn't really make sense because LeBron placed Palinka in an impossible situation that he can't really work himself out of. Because guess what? Russell Westbrook earns around $45 million a season. That's not an easily tradable contract. You have to take into account that people need to get the same value back in the NBA trade scheme. So how are you going to get players back even a multitude of players for someone, one person who's getting paid $45 million a season when he's going through one of the worst seasons since his rookie year. You're literally putting your GM in an impossible situation and now you're just frustrated talking about how you're going to keep the door open to going back to Cleveland, which is respectable. But at the same time, I just think that it doesn't really make sense that LeBron's upset because he is responsible for digging the grave that he's expecting Palinka to dig himself out of. But yeah, so now we're left with a really um, mediocre team of role players, if they are role players. And they're kind of surrounded by LeBron and AD, which is made out of glass leading to their very subpar record, winning only 27 games and losing 33, leaving them five games under the 500 mark, putting them at the ninth spot, barely contending for the play-in tournament rather than, um, I don't know, first place like we all anticipated from the beginning of the season. Yeah, I didn't really think of that. And now you're left with Russell Westbrook, who against the Cavs yesterday had one assist and seven turnovers against the Pelicans. Now, I'm not downplaying the Pelicans, 
But they are in 10th place, and they have 25 games won. And they had less than that, like, four games ago. They're on a winning streak right now. So, and it's probably because of CJ McCollum, the guy who Zion doesn't want to talk to, which we'll get into later this podcast. But now you're left with Dwight Howard not being played because Frank Vogel is trying to figure out... a death lineup of his own which isn't really possible because let's be honest the way the Lakers lost that game was because they literally have zero floor spacing you know how the Pelicans defended them they just went under every screen and left them open on the perimeter and the Lakers were like oh for 20 at one point obviously that's an exaggeration but when you're not making your threes There's no point to guard you. So all they were doing is smothering the paint. And then the Lakers couldn't score. Why? Because they literally have no shooters. They traded for a point guard, an all-star supposedly point guard, that gets paid $45 million a year. That's primary role is to slash and distribute the ball, which they already have in LeBron James. Oh, my God. And on top of all of that, Vogel doesn't really want to play Dwight Howard, even though he had a double-double in almost a quarter and a half-ish. He literally had around nine points and eight rebounds, like two minutes into the second quarter. But he's choosing to play small ball, even though they're shooting people on the team, still can't shoot. So I don't really know what to say to that in terms of Braun being mad at Polinka. Palinka really wanted to trade for Buddy Heald from the Sacramento Kings, which is literally what they needed in terms of shooting. But then we all know how LeBron shut that down, and now he's mad at him. Anyways, I'm not going to waste more time on it. It just like kind of stirs me up because you can't really be mad and putting someone in an impossible situation and expecting themselves to work themselves out of it. It's just not the way it works. Because if I keep talking about this, then I'm going to talk about how Polinka used $30 million of cap space to sign Danny Green, then traded Danny Green for, um, I don't know, point guard who can't really pass or shoot in Dennis Schroeder, and then kind of wasted Harrell, giving him to Milwaukee, and then promised Andre Drummond a... Center, who's renowned for rebounding, I'll give him that. He's a premier rebounder, kind of led the NBA in that stat forever, basically. But he is no more than that. He's a very one-dimensional player. He's not a starter. He's he's more of your super sub off the bench that's going to bring life into the game if you sub him in. And then he pissed off Marc Gasol, which is a winning player and was kind of part of the best LA lineups when he was there. And then don't even get me started when it comes to the summer. He denied and vetoed a trade for Lowry because he didn't want to let go of THD, which is not a fit with the Lakers because he's also a slasher. And he is a project player second round pick. In my opinion, when you have LeBron, you need to win now. And keeping THD and not giving him up for Lowry, my personal favorite player, like, yeah, enough said. And on top of that, he did not sign DeRozan, which is having the best season of his entire career and is known for being that clutch, cold-blooded scorer in the fourth quarter. And then just ruin the team, bringing Russell Westbrook over. 
But yeah, I'm done talking about the Lakers for this episode at least. You just can't help but talk about them because of the huge project that they had bringing a bunch of old role players and Russell Westbrook as their third star. Oh my god. So yeah, moving on. We talked about how the Lakers uh, lost really, really badly to the Pelicans and at one point were trailing by almost 30 points in the third. So let's move on to the Pelicans. Uh, They acquired CJ McCollum, which is a very, very good trade for them, judging by how they needed that shot creator, who could also playmake and create his own shot off the dribble. So that filled in a gaping need for them which was really good on their front office, unlike the front office we were previously discussing. But moving on to a little bit of drama happening in New Orleans, Zion Williamson, which is arguably the most hyped up player since LeBron James, has been away from the team forever at this point because he's been experiencing a lot of setbacks in his rehab process. And that wasn't really big news because it's been documented that he's been experiencing the setbacks. So we're aware that he's not going to be back on the court anytime soon, especially this season. But what kind of blew this whole thing up was that the New Orleans reporters were really excited to interview CJ because they actually got a good player for once. And then they naturally led on to asking him If he had talked to his co-star Zion upon his arrival after playing five games, keep in mind. And he said no. So that kind of made huge headlines because they expected Zion to reach out to the star player that his front office acquired to play alongside him so they could actually be competitive and become contenders to compete for the title. But Zion Williamson didn't even bother reaching out to him and which kind of blew up the entire NBA storytelling part of the situation, making reporters go berserk upon writing their stories, leading CJ up to the point where he literally wanted to stop answering questions about it. And he was just like, guys, can you leave this whole situation alone and focus about how I've actually been averaging 28 points, 5 assists since I've gotten here, rather than asking me if I've been talking to a 21-year-old star player who's been injured for about two seasons now, if you count this one as a whole. So that was kind of a little bit weird in terms of how they're making CJ feel super uncomfortable rather than asking him about how he's been playing. And then people are kind of rolling out with this whole notion of Zion wants to leave and he wants to be his own player for somewhere else. And some people are even going as far as writing him out and comparing him to Greg Oden, who was another first-round pick who got an injury-riddled first few years of his career, basically leading him to become a nothing player and he couldn't really compete anymore, so he had to retire really early a few years onto his career. And people are saying that Zion's kind of headed towards that path unless he fixes it. But in my personal opinion, I see Zion as a lot more of an Embiid project, like because Joel, given his frame, just like Zion's frame, which is very unconventional for his size, he's about 280 at a 6'6 height. So that's not really, like, your knees can't 
basically take on all the pressure specifically because he's a slasher so all he does is jump and then the more he lands on his knees given all the weight he has for his height the more strain they end up taking over time basically making them give out way earlier than typically so that's why he's been injury riddled for the first few seasons of his career basically making him play about 83 games in three seasons, which is tied for the third amount of lowest games played throughout the first few seasons, or three in this case. And he's about two games higher than Greg Oden, which kind of makes you understand why people are taking on that perspective. However, in my opinion, he's more of an Embiid project because Embiid also sat out a chunk of his first few seasons, but is literally leading the entire league in points this season without Ben Simmons, and now he has James Harden, which is another top five player in the entire league, and now they're very, very solid contenders, and people are actually picking them to win the whole thing. So I think Zion just kind of needs his own time, just like CJ is saying. Just leave him alone, let him figure it out. He's literally basically not even 22 years old. He's super young. He just wants to get himself fixed. So reporters just pestering him and forcing CJ to like talk to him and just wanting to get a statement so they could write their own stories is kind of ruining that whole process. So in my opinion, people should just leave it alone and see where he ends up, just like MB did a few years back. So now I'd like to move on to DeMar DeRozan's historic run. I kind of mentioned it in my first episode 0.75. However, I'd like to get more into it because it's been going on more and more. This guy is on a tear and he basically went from like 7-8 in MVP voting to kind of 3-4. Some people are even going as far to picking him as the MVP favorite based on his purely offensive game rhythm. Because this man has been going crazy, scoring from all sides of the court, inside the three-point line, specifically in that 12 to 18-foot range. He is money, shooting over 50% for over nine straight games. However, recently, today's game, he unfortunately ended that 50% plus field goal percentage and the 30-point game streak, putting it and capping it at 11 games. Not bad for someone who tied Michael Jordan and surpassed one of his records scoring that many points, 50% from the field, surpassing the great GOAT himself. And not bad for someone who basically was written as the worst trade and signing of the entire offseason. It just fascinates me how far reporters were willing to go last offseason, going as far as saying he was dead last in terms of the best signings that went on, which was kind of a very full summer in terms of signings. But ranking DeMar as the worst signing of the entire offseason, and now he is, to some, the first in MVP runnings? Like, come on. You just can't be more further away from the point you're trying to make he went as far as to tie and surpass mj breaking bulls records with his insane 30 point uh per game streak recently 
And the amount of slander he's gotten from reporters, especially from his time in San Antonio, where he kind of just stayed low-key, didn't really, wasn't in that, like, all-star conversation or not even just star conversation, to be honest. But he still averaged over 20 points a game and over five assists a game. But being in the Spurs that weren't the Spurs of the 2000s and early 2010s, he kind of just shifted away from everyone's landscape and people were focusing more on players who were going crazy. And that's what made him apparently the worst signing of the last offseason, which kind of just makes me not really understand what I'm saying anymore because, like, how can you go from the worst signing of the offseason to first an MVP voting? How wrong can you be? That just tells you how reporters think they know everything and then end up with predictions like that. Not even predictions, analyses like that. Hence why I'm starting my own podcast because NBA analysts nowadays, yeah, you heard it from me, just don't get me started. It's insane. Like, they downplay this man so much because of the adversity he's faced in his career. And he's like, all right, all right, I'll just stay quiet and I'll let my game do the talking. And that he definitely did. So I'd like to move on to James Harden's debut with the Philadelphia 76ers. Basically, Harden went crazy. His hamstring injury went away. He's getting his free throws like he used to in Houston. Before the rule change, which was dubbed the Harden rule change, he's playing at a way faster pace than he did with the Nets, showing you guys that he has that first step in him still, that quick off the dribble first step where he blows by defenders to either get his layup or to get to his step back patented three. And on top of all of that, he is fitting in perfectly with his new front court teammate, Joel Embiid, still feeding him and giving him the 30 plus points per game that Embiid is going for and to chase that scoring record that he's going after, while still dropping around 25 to 30 himself, on top of his 10 plus assists per game and 8 to 10, even 12 rebounds sometimes per game, basically being the Russell Westbrook of 2017, which stole away his MVP and then took him to his team in Houston just to make him leave. And now he's basically like crapping in his face, telling him, hey, I'm better than you because I can actually run a team that has superstars as opposed to you who only needs to slash to get a bucket and will go with one assist and seven turnovers against the Pelicans. So yeah, um, Harden's been tearing it up in his first few games in Philly, which is leading a lot of people to go on and say that he's going to be the favorite with the Philadelphia 76ers to win the whole thing, which in my opinion, I don't know. I don't really think they have what it takes, even though they have a really good starting five. They're not as deep as some of the other teams like the revamped Suns, the Warriors, even the Miami Heat. They They're not a super team per se because of what we were discussing before in the podcast, but they literally have that dog mentality when it comes to defense, and I don't know if Philly can shake that. So that's leading us to a very, very, very anticipated postseason at the end of this regular season, 
which I will probably be uploading more at the time because there is simply too many games to not talk about. Because this season, I'm glad to finally be able to start covering in terms of the NBA because this is by far one of the best seasons we've had in terms of the entire NBA's landscape shifting from the Western Conference to the East, as I've touched on earlier in this pod, and how the entire Super Neem dynamic is just falling apart and it's becoming more of a balanced league, leading to more entertaining and close matchups and games. On top of all of the drama with people who used to play together who are now going against each other, which kind of makes me think about the entire uh, Philadelphia Brooklyn Nets situation. If they end up teaming up in the playoffs and going against each other, oh lord, that will be a series for the century with all of the drama, the trades, the storylines. I cannot wait to cover that once the postseason's here. Oh lord. So now I want to kind of finish off with the entire uh, Luka Magic comeback, except not because the Mavs made the comeback with Luka on the bench. So apparently the Dinwiddie trade was successful. They kind of needed him way more than Porzingis. So now Porzingis is uh, chilling in D.C. and Dinwiddie is tearing it up in Dallas, which is insane. So everyone was kind of confused as to why that trade went down, but confused they are no longer because of the results they're seeing. It was really weird that the Mavericks made their fourth quarter comeback without Luka on the floor, and they kind of kept going after it when Luka came back on. It was more how the Warriors kept missing. They literally missed 11 straight field goal attempts, And then that was offset by one free throw, which led to around five or six field goals straight missed before that. They started the quarter 0 for 6 at least, which led the Mavs to go on a 26-1 extended run throughout the entire quarter. I remember watching it and looking at the Warriors at the 92 score mark when the quarter started with the Mavs being at like 78 or something. And then the Warriors, at the end of the quarter, were still at like 95, when the Mavs were at like 101. They literally failed to score anything in the last quarter. They were so cold. They went ice cold, scoring nothing in the last, totaling their entire fourth quarter points to be 13, whereas the Mavericks went for 33, which is more like a regular quarter in today's day and age when it comes to the NBA. So other than the Warriors going ice cold, I honestly think they're fine. Draymond's going to come back soon. They're going to have their defensive identity back. And then Clay wasn't even playing. So these aren't really excuses. They're just more of like coincidences that went down, which kind of caused the Mavs to stir up their entire run back. And that basically gave them a lot of confidence moving on. So they were playing lockdown defense on an ice-cold Warriors team, which basically led to them winning the game. It was just fascinating that the Mavs made half of their run, almost tying the Warriors, before Luka stepped onto the court. And then when he was there, they kept going. But it was really nice to see how their style of play was so different with Luka being on the bench because Dinwiddie and Brunson kind of ran the show 
and the ball movement was a lot more prominent, giving up open shots off of drives to shooters in the corner. And I know that's what Luca does, but Luca does it by dribbling like Harden did in 2017 for like 18 to 21 dribbles. And then kind of like going slowly into drive because he's 6'8", six, 6'7", six, and then passing it out because Luca plays at a slower pace, whereas Brunson kind of just like runs down the court and Dinwiddie's a lot faster as well. So it was really nice to see how their ball movement strategy was totally different compared to when Luca's on the ground with his usage rate of around 33%. I think he's like third in the league for it. So it's definitely not surprising. It was just nice to see those two styles of play equate to the same conclusion. Of course, we're backed by the Warriors playing at a really horrible pace, leading them to become extremely cold. But it was just nice to see how those uh, two separate kind of play styles when it came to the maps still resulted to them beating the game. So unfortunately, I'd have to wrap up today's episode, given that we've gone through everything I wanted to discuss in the past week regarding the NBA's timeline, and I kind of touched on what I wanted to talk about in terms of the self-betterment and improvement part of my podcast in the beginning, and I don't really have a lot for you guys at the end today, but definitely tune in to next week's episode because I have a lot more I want to get into regarding that aspect of self-improvement after I touch on the NBA and I think next week's gonna have a little bit less in terms of drama within the whole landscape of the league right now so I'll touch on a lot more on the stuff I wanted to cover today but unfortunately we're getting to that time limit where we have to call it so thanks again for tuning in and uh, keep your heads high and I'll see you guys next time bye you know you made it